How are you? What's going on? What's new? We're here. Here? Yep. Living a dream? I don't know if it's, a, it's like more like a nightmare. <laughs> Let's check your energy, please, shall we? I am a five. I'm a five today. How about you, Pretty Dr. Hamlet? Pretty solid number. I think I'm a five. Okay. Dr. Right there G- in the middle. Dr. Gaines? Yeah. Same. Same? Five? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's see if we can maintain our fives after I present this topic today. Uh, trauma. What is it? What does it look like? How is it treated? You know, who does it impact? All that good, fun stuff. Trauma. And the reason I bring it up is because with the African-American community, trauma is very much a thing. Um, Particularly some of the things that we've been exposed to in the last sets of months. um, Sort of often leave it as a trigger. So wanted to sort of talk about it, tease it out, sort of help the people. You know. What do you yes. think? It's a very important talk to- topic. English mm-hmm. now. It is a very important topic okay. to talk about. Okay. Right. My energy immediately is I don't know if it went up or went down, but it's <laughs> it not a five. It moved. Got it. It's not a five. Got it. Um so what is trauma? Okay. Well, the textbook definition. Mm-hmm. Is any event or experience or circumstances that overwhelms your ability to cope. Okay. Right? So you experience something and because of this experience, it's very difficult for you to now manage your emotions, regulate yourself, um, function like you usually do. It kind of just overloads you emotionally, psychologically, even even physically, okay, even cognitively, yes, all the ways, all, all the ways. ways, all the ways, all the ways. I've seen it from the physical standpoint and the cognitive standpoint for sure, particularly with kids. Um, but we could talk about that a little as we go into this conversation a bit more. Yes, um, I think when people think about trauma, often they think about some form of abuse, right? Like physical abuse or sexual abuse or sexual trauma. Um, but there are, there are other things that can be traumatizing. There's racial trauma, which we as black people often experience both firsthand and vicariously. Sure. Through watching videos yep. of things um, to hearing stories from our friends. There's generational absolutely trauma, which is trauma that's being passed down through generations, through family, that often also takes place through, like, hearing stories, um, family patterns just being repeated, dysfunctional patterns just being repeated through generations. I mean, there's different ways that we can experience trauma that we don't often talk about. So this is important. Yeah. I was thinking that we should just make a disclaimer that, you know, we are going to be talking about trauma. So if it's something that's a sensitive subject for you, you might not want to listen to this episode. So we don't want to trigger anybody by 
having this discussion, but it is important. Yes. Um, And if this is something that you do feel triggered by, then it's important to just take notice of that and, and maybe think about some ways that you can help yourself with that, whether that means reaching out for some support, Mm -hmm. family, friends, or even, you know, a licensed professional that can talk you through. I think the, the latter reaching out to a licensed professional is relatively important, especially because most of the time for us within our community, it's sort of like very taboo and you find other ways to sort of handle it, whether it's self-medication or things of that sort. And we don't want to continue down that path. You want to sort of address and have your needs met because that's important. It's really important because it's not like it's going to go away. Mm -hmm. You know what? That makes me think too. I think so many people don't even know that they are traumatized. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like if you, if you kind of grow up and nobody talks about it and like you said, it gets passed down generation to generation. I think sometimes people don't even know that the things they experience are probably trauma reactions. Sure. I didn't know what it was. I, this is why I even went back to school because when I was working as a school psychologist, I was in the schools and I was getting all these referrals for kids who had learning problems, but I wasn't seeing learning problems, right? Like everything that I had been taught and had come to understand in terms of learning difficulties and even psychosocial things, Mm -hmm. I was like, that doesn't quite, what I'm seeing doesn't quite fit. I didn't have the language for what I was seeing. So that's what really made me go back to school. And what I learned was these kids were traumatized. Sure. Absolutely. By so many different things. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that I was seeing. And a lot of it wasn't even things that we would think were trauma, right? Like sexual abuse or physical abuse. There were so many. I mean, not having enough money to eat every day can be traumatizing. Right. Right. Um, Emotional abuse, Mm -hmm. which is often way more insidious than people think. Right. um, Causes all different kinds of things. And so I was like, wow, this is trauma is the language that I never knew that I needed in order to like understand people Mm -hmm. a little bit better. So I think you're talking about complex trauma, too. Like it's it's good to distinguish between like PTSD. And I have to say the example of PTSD that keeps coming to my mind. Are you guys ready? Here we go. And down the rabbit hole. (laughs) This early in the episode. You guys see that 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 airplane where the um. The engine stopped working. Most recently? Yes. And parts of the airplane were falling yes. out of the sky? Yes. Yes. And did you see the picture where you could just see the engine and the, the thing was ripped off and it was just yes. flames? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mid air, out the window, pass it like, yes. Yes. So imagine if you're sitting in that window seat. Mm-hmm. Good life up till then. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> just saying. Good life up to then. PTSD. Right. That plane was on fire. In the air. In the air. Like you just, you just sit next to the planes. <laughs> and parts of it were legit falling in people's yards. And they didn't know what was happening. Like they thought the world legit was coming to an end because 
like chunks of metal were falling into their yard. Did you hear that pilot though? No. He was cool as a cucumber. That's the guy you want. Yeah. He was cool. He was like, Mayday. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? Mayday. Mayday. We got to come back. Okay. So my only point is PTSD <laughs> from an acute event mm-hmm. versus what you're talking about. Yeah. More like developmental complex yes, trauma. Developmental complex trauma. Yes. Which I think even for our field, isn't that sort of like a relatively new thing that people are starting to really look at? It was always there, but yeah, I, I think guess. it's not in the DSM. Right. That people are starting to really think about as a cluster of, you know, symptom presentation. Right. And like to your example, like growing up with no food, like, chron- like chronic food insecurity. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. And it's like and it's particularly in schools, it, it, it's often um, look, not looked at as food insecurity. Right. It's like hoarding behavior or stealing exactly. peers food. Exactly. Or. um very just stealing stealing right very sneaky with what they're doing like they're the kid that i'm thinking of littles i call them littles the 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 kids that i work with so thinking of them the teachers tend to sort of write it off as you know he has hoarding or he's very closed off um but it's not that Mm -hmm. there's 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 more to it you know um so it's just I think the three of us or folks trained in our fields are, we are, are trained to, to have a different eye to those things. Like there's a behavior and what is this behavior trying to tell us versus this is a behavior. Let's just slap them on medication. Right. So what kinds of things do you guys notice that would make you think, oh, this person has probably been through a traumatic event? thinking of my littles, um, difficulty with potty training. Um, Having full-on behaviors, like right around school dismissal, i.e. not wanting to go home. Um, Like tantruming? Tantruming or just doing something to not have to, whether it's ride the bus or get picked up like would prefer to stay after school for something. So like detention is their thing. Um, ADLs, so activities of daily living, so poor hygiene. Um, And that's whether bathing, grooming, um, brushing teeth, washing face. Um, So it ends up being a protective mechanism. If they don't do it, people stay away from them. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's another one in there too. Excessive weight gain. Yep. Which I don't think a lot of people also understand right. that that could be a protective mm-hmm. mechanism. Thing. Sure. Even like fighting or control the control issues. You know, like you ever see the little ones where like 
they just don't want to fight. Like, they don't want to do what you tell them to. Teacher says, get in line. My, my man is climbing the place <laughs> gate. And you're looking at him like, well, what? Are we doing this right now? Well, Miss Taj, I don't want to go inside. No, no, yeah. no. You know. We have to transition back inside because playtime's over. F that teacher, yo. And then proceeds to jump to the monkey bars. And I'm like, hmm. Okay. And what is that behavior communicating to us, <laughs> Dr. Taj? Again, it's it's like Dr. Hamlet said. It's a, it's a locus of control. I can control this narrative. Yes, the teacher defying authority. Like not just teacher says left, student says right. And it's just the way it goes. If teacher says right, student says left. Like it's just, it's their sense of control because everything else in their world is out of control. Mm-hmm. Hence having difficulty with um, pottying, using, they would rather urinate and defecate on themselves than go in the toilet. Because the toilet, there's a locus. There's, that's outside of their control. They don't know where that stuff is going. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a big one for me, too, that I see that I, my mind immediate goes, immediately goes to trauma is hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for people who don't know what that is, that's just like being overly aware, overly attuned to things that are happening in your environment. So being constantly on edge about like what's about to happen. Sure. Um, And so when I see that a lot, people are like hyper tuned to people's like reactions and body language and always trying to um, predict what people are going to do, the outcomes and stuff like that. My mind kind of goes to like, okay. Because at some point, there was something very unpredictable in your environment. Right. Right. That was very scary and overwhelming. Right. And you know what? That makes me like then start to think about the physical symptoms and how it affects your immune system. Because your body is not designed to be at that level of alert of fight and flight for like days and years and months. Mm -hmm. Let's break down fight or flight. Okay. So fight or flight, right? The idea that. When you are hypervigilant, I mean, our brains are designed so that we go into this mode of either I'm going to stay here and prepare myself to fight or I'm going to flee and leave or I'm just going to freeze like an animal. And so it's just your body's way to prepare you to survive what's about to happen. But if you're in a traumatic situation, that's like an everyday experience, then you're constantly in that state of preparation for survival and you're really only supposed to be like that, like if you're walking down the street and you see a bear, right? And you gotta, you gotta <laughs> run. That happens all, all the, the time. time. <laughs> but that's the point. But that's the point. It's rare. It's rare you're in a situation, I mean, that you have to fight for your life. Right. So if that's your house, that's, that's your daily where you live, mm-hmm. like you just weren't wired to be at that level. It's exhausting. Yeah. And that's where you see some of the littles that have difficulty, that have attachment issues. Exactly. So it's... Malcolm. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. So it's, so it's the little that loves when Miss Toya comes to take them out of class, <laughs> right? And we'll find a reason to go to Miss Toya's class or we'll count down the time. So let's just say Miss Toya comes every Tuesday at 12, waits... And sort of just, if they don't know anything about time, they know at 12, Miss Toya comes through the door. So it's sort of always 
glomming on, for lack of better words, glomming on to that one person that gives them that sense of... Or the opposite. Like, even though you keep trying to reach out to me and be there for me, I don't trust it, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to do everything to push you away. Right. Right. Because imagine if the person... Living living in a world where the person that is supposed to take care of all of your needs is the person that causes you the greatest amount of danger. Right. And if that goes unchecked, untreated, unknown, then what does that begin to look like as that person grows up? Right. It's a terrible dilemma. Fighting everything. Fighting everything. And then what happens is, back to fight or flight, right? Your brain can't distinguish from what is really dangerous to what is not. So then everything is a fight. becomes dangerous. Mm-hmm. Everything becomes either the fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So your body is constantly preparing itself to do more than what it should. And then you have that, that amount of stress hormones. All of that, though. All that of that. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can't Long see her, but. That was a stress dance. I that guess. was that was a stress dance. Yeah, but can you imagine all those stress hormones flowing through your body all the time? Right. But that's so. Then we get into what do adults do to manage it when they get older? They become hypersexual to try to to regulate that central nervous system. Yep, hypersexual, binge eating, drinking, substance drinking, abuse, gambling, self injury, self injury. Yep. So other substances, trying to get that central nervous system. Calm. To calm down. Yep. Or to feel something. Or to feel something. To feel something because they've up to this point have been numbed. I'm at like a two right now, guys. (laughs) It's such a because it's so rampant. That's the thing I always ask. Like how what what is it? It's multi-generational. But like at what point does does it stop? Like they humans hurting other humans. And then the next generation, it just seems like it's so rampant. But they first have to I know that that's what it is, right? So yes. a substance user doesn't necessarily know. No, they don't. That it was a trauma incident or a series of incidences that caused the substance abuse, right? So case in point, some people that I come across and work are substance users as a related to as it relates to or as a result of an injury, car accident, mm. back and back surgery, knee surgery, shoulder surgery, what have you, right? They couldn't heal, right? Successfully. Um, and they didn't resume their life's occupation, whether that is carpentry, being able to fend for their, their family. So now there's this internal struggle that I'm less of a man, I'm less of a woman because I can't provide for my family. I can't be there for my wife. I can't be there for my husband. I can't be there for my kids. The prescription has run out. So now you end up seeking other substances of the street kind to chase that numb, to get that same high. And here we are. Right in the circle. Yeah, because so what you're bringing up, too, is like the, the normal stresses of life. Like throw that on top of, you know, being a person with trauma. I mean, life is just inherently kind of stressful. It's like any little thing. Mm-hmm. Just straw that breaks the camel's back. So now 
if you look at it in terms of race, social class. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about that yet. <laughs> the, 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 those two are pretty heavy. And those are hugely influential as to how this narrative plays out. Yes. Gender. Right. Those are those are heavy. So, yeah, maybe we could talk about the trauma of like gender oppression, racial oppression on top of just like the stuff we've been talking about. I mean, classic example, right? Like we watch all of these things play out on social media and the news that are pretty scary in terms of the violence committed against black people. Uh So now I'm watching somebody that looks like me have this done to them just because of the color of their skin. The message is that that's twisting in her seat. (laughs) She's getting hot and bothered. You know, we need an energy check. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Because I'm listening what she's saying and I'm thinking like, yep. So then it becomes if if that was committed against them just because of the color of their skin, my skin is that same color. So who's to say that that's not going to happen to me the next time I step foot outside my door? Sure. So we're hypervigilant. So then we become hypervigilant and hyper aware for things to happen to us. And again, it triggers that same fight or flight system. Because we're prepared for some for something bad to happen Absolutely. all the time. And then honestly, sometimes with the race stuff, you let your guard down and then somebody's like, I don't know, just says something to you like a microaggression. And you're mm-hmm. like, see, I was trying to take the day off. Exactly. <laughs> Not take the day off. <laughs> take the day off from being black. Right. Just, just, you, know. you know, from just being walking around the world, like I got to keep Anxious. my guard up. Right, mm-hmm. right. Guard it. Standoffish. Or that black girl in the office. Eye roll. <sighs> got it. Deep size. Understood. So hard. It is. And, it, and how do you. So. Playing devil's advocate. Working as mental health professionals. How do you treat or talk to those that are at the most malleable age. So we're talking the kids. How do you, how do you, kids, the teenagers, the young adults that haven't necessarily experienced any of these things, right? They're just sort of seeing it through the eyes of their parents, their aunts, their uncles, their family members. They haven't experienced it, right? So they're, how do you keep them protected, but well-informed, if that makes sense. Can you keep them protected and well-informed? You have an example? You mean like from like uh, like watching the George Floyd type situation? Sure. That would be the most recent. Well, not the most recent, but the most that stands out the most. So you're saying if a child were to come to me and be like, Dr. Toya, why did that happen to George Floyd? What mm-hmm. would I say? Right. How old are we? That matters. I mean, we can we can we can do an eight year old and maybe a fifteen year old. Fifteen year old is way easier, by the way. Because um, at that age, you know that they have some type of understanding, understanding. Sure, you know of what's going on. An eight year old 
I mean, first of all, it's a hard conversation mm-hmm. to have. Um, and I think there needs to be some discussion around like what racism is. Mm-hmm. There's kind of like no way to skirt around that. Sure. Unfortunately. And so explaining to an eight-year-old that some people... such a hard thing to say but some people um will react to you a certain way because of the color of your skin sure but it's not your fault right and that's because that's what they've been taught to do mm-hmm. sure. so if you know that cop that you saw do that to this man he was probably taught that from people that he grew up around, people that he works with. Sure. You're done. I got it. Case in point. It's a lot, right? It is a lot. And so you have to make it make sense. So we have to make it make sense to the littles, the young adults, the adults. But then trauma comes into play. And that same eight-year-old then sees, sees that, right, after, before your explanation. Your explanation sort of settles them a bit. And they're going I don't to think sp- it does. A bit. I don't think it does. I don't okay. think it settles them at all. So then it plays out how? <clears throat> so then all kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. He's probably angry, upset, sad, or whatever. And those are all normal responses. I think what you do then is help, help teach them how to cope with those right. emotions that come. Because unfortunately, the conversation about what it is, like the reality of it, is here, right? right? It's in our face. But now, what can, you know, what you're feeling about the reality, that's where we can help. But you also have to be sure to have them identify the emotions. Oh, yeah. Sure. Okay. You know, I, w- I would just, like, I feel like it, in my more, like, more recently, I'm coming to an understanding of how white people are, or other people, are also <laughs> traumatized by racism. But it's obviously different and not to the same extent. But, like, having conversations about, like, I actually don't think it's right to treat people different because of their race, but my whole family told me that if I have this friend or I have this partner, they're gonna disown me or they do disown me. Or like I'm watching this racial violence on TV and everybody around me isn't upset about it and I'm the only one that thinks it's wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I feel like white people don't really understand how much they lose in this too. I mean, it's not. Maybe they're not walking around scared. But if you see something wrong and you really feel like you're powerless to, or you're going to be kicked out of the village, that's I mean, a reality. That's, stressful. that's a reality for some people. Yeah. Like the little ones, right? Like when you're eight, you just have your friends, your little friends, and then your parents, like, they can't come over or don't play with them. And you're like, I'm confused. 
And nobody probably explains. Do they explain to them? I don't know. Nine times out of ten, I don't think. Not all parents explain. I don't. And if they explain, it's a no ridiculous idea. explanation. I was going to say I cannot begin to understand yeah, the no conversation idea. that is had from why, a white racist parent to their child, explaining why. I think we can though. I think they're probably like because all the stereotypes. Because they're da- they're gonna they're dangerous or they're gonna, like. I think that might be the conversation of why. I guess. I don't know. Ain't for um. me to know. <laughs> okay, so we... Well, I think, you know, I'm just taking a step back here because I think it's important for people to really understand, number one, what they're experiencing that may be a trauma symptom because I think a lot That's of people are part. walking around right. with symptoms of you know, having gone through a traumatizing situation and don't even know it. Sure. Um, and two, like what that looks like. So we've talked about being in a fight or flight state. We've talked about being hypervigilant. We've talked about numbness. Numbness. We've talked about with kids trying to control their environment. Mm-hmm. Even with kids and being young adults fighting. Fighting in their environment. Fighting. It's pretty much every behavior possible <laughs> right but it, i think that's, that's out of context mm-hmm. right so i mean you can this is going to sound crazy you can have those behaviors but they have to fall within a specific context they have to be context context appropriate yeah. right so if they're context inappropriate right there's behavioral discontrol then that's more than likely trauma-based right right i can cry at the death of a loved one, but I cannot cry just getting ready to go home at the end of the school day. Or all the other kids in line and you're right. and jumping off. Right. The teacher's asking me to get in line and I'm yelling obscenities from the playscape as I'm going to the next monkey bar. <laughs> or your partner may ask you what you want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> And you choose 5911 options and you still in the same spot and hungry. And you yelling, why are they always asking you uh-huh. what you want to eat? There was this um, meme that I just saw the other day on Facebook where <laughs> it says something to the effect of, if you ask, if I tell you I'm hungry, you have 27 minutes <laughs> to get me food. Hey now, <laughs> hangry. <laughs> Is the thing. It's it's pretty simple at that point. Twenty seven minutes. Clark clock starts now. That's a good point, though. I mean, I mean that's hilarious and true. <laughs> but also, like with trauma, you people you can get triggered in relationships, right? Absolutely. Like that thing will get tri- like that little that little wound. <laughs> yes. They say something wrong. Listen, Tone, I'm telling you, it's like the littlest thing. text message conversations never go well. Just thought I'd put that out there. There's too much left for interpretation. Mm -hmm. Can't you feel, too, when your brain is like, you you feel that fire, as as Dr. Taj likes to say, and you know you shouldn't message back? No, because remember, the prefrontal cortex (laughs) is offline. That's another thing. The prefrontal cortex is off a lot with trauma because you're in fight or flight. 
So I don't know. We were referring back to what episode was that that we talked about? Oh, geez. Was it this hating and typing? I think it was hating and typing. Hating and typing, yes. Hating and typing. Go back to that episode if y'all haven't heard that one. But remember, we said that when you are in fight or flight and your emotion brain is activated, you can't think rationally. Right. It does. Your brain doesn't work like that. Right. There are two sort of. On and off switch. Yeah, on and off that's, switch. That's can, <laughs> simple as think it gets, the there's an on switch and there's an off switch. So when you're operating from a motion brain, which is where... The off, yeah, off switches were working. Right, which is, you know, where all of your, you know, fear and aggression and all that stuff that gets kicked up by the fight or flight system. When that system is online in your brain, your prefrontal cortex, the front part that helps you to make good decisions, that's offline. Sorry, sis. <laughs> It's not going to work at all, at all. Mm-mm. So take several seats and breathe. Yes. Use your good coping skills. Aha. Uh-huh. So now what do we recommend for all those out there listening that know, maybe they know, okay, yes, I've been through a traumatic situation. And maybe people who are listening to this are kind of like, oh, that's me. And never realized it mm-hmm. before. Or, oh, wait, that's my kid. Right. And didn't know. What do we Recommend. Recommend. As Dr. Taj would say, how do we flip the script? Nice. Nice. Um, I mean, I'll speak for the littles. Um, You want to get a a clinical evaluation. Um, And that's typically a combination of a psychology eval. You also want to get a good OT eval, occupational therapy evaluation, to establish baseline level of function and ability. Um, both um, comprehensive evaluations establish sort of a working point, can give you a picture of your kid, um, what's working, what's not working, um, and where to go from there. And then sort of set up your treatment plan, sessions, whether, you know, in home, in school, or at an outpatient clinic and go from there. Um, Because there's ways that you can address it. There's ways that it can be dealt with. Um, it's not the end all be all like, oh my God, you know, can't do anything with my kid. Um, I think that's important because one of the things that I'm aware of, like working with kids and working in the schools is that trauma looks very, uh, similar to ADHD, which also looks very similar to anxiety. My blood is boiling, but go ahead. So a lot of times our kids get diagnosed with ADHD or autism. Or autism. autism. Or oppositional defiant Girl, disorder. Like, that's why I said my blood is boiling. Like, you don't even... I'm sitting here... Okay, sorry. Mm-mm. Go ahead, Dr. Gaines. Which, mm. again, they're similar. Yes? Like, the way that they look. Some overlap, maybe. Some overlap, but it's not the same thing, and you don't work with them in the same way. And not everything requires medication. I digress. Absolutely. So, it's important to know or to distinguish, you know between the two so that we know how to deal with it. Because if, if your child has been through something that is traumatic and sometimes we don't always know, right? right? Like adults have things that happen in their lives and they bounce back, but sometimes the kids don't. Right. And that's okay. You know, but if that's the case, then we have to go about that one way and it could look like ADHD. Right. But that's something completely different. And if we're going, if we're trying to work with ADHD and it's not there, then it's a lot of confusion that could happen. So it's really important to get a good assessment to understand what's happening. 
I think sometimes a lot of people don't understand there's a lot of overlap. Absolutely. And it could look similar, but it's not the same thing. What would you do? That happens all the time. It does. Particularly for black and brown babies. Yes. Especially the boys. Yes. Yes. Quick to tell us our boys have ADHD. Right. Or or, um, oppositional defiant. Yes, that's another Which one. Which then is conduct Sends disorder and then is me through prison. the roof. Sorry. <laughs> Getting fired up again. Okay. I'll rein it in. Um, Does anybody even know what oppositional defiant disorder is? That's when they say that your child is the bad one in the classroom and he's not. Babies. Kids. <laughs> oh, Lord. Not babies. Kids. Okay. So what would you do then if you are an adult? For those that are out there listening and there's an adult that feels like they may have experienced some type of trauma, what would you recommend, Dr. Hamlet, Dr. Gaines? Therapy. Yes. What could they expect in therapy if they've experienced a trauma? I mean, I think it's important, like to you guys' point, I think the assessment part is really important. And I think in general, a trauma, someone who's a trauma therapist is not going to they're going to want to get to know you and understand what's going on and understand all the layers of it before they're going to want to take it slow. I mean, at Mm -hmm. least that's how I always think of it. Like, let me just, you don't want to like start diving into somebody's like worst experiences until you know how they're coping, how it's manifesting, how they're going to be able to process it. Right. So I feel like it's like a, beginning conversation and maybe the initial part of getting to know them is a little bit longer. I don't know if that is really always the case because there are manualized treatments that are quick. Yeah, but I think what you're saying is like it's important to develop a sense of safety, right? Because that's what I'm saying. Trauma, we're talking about not feeling safe. Like that is the that is the what has happened. Right. You've been in a situation where you felt very unsafe. So the first thing that we want to do is make sure that you're feeling safe. If we're going to exactly, you know, examine these things and help you cope and process, then, you know, we need to take as much time as it takes to establish this safe relationship. Absolutely. That's really what I was trying to say. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's it. It You know, Um I think Sataj's point, coping skills, Mm -hmm. because we need to deal with the regulation of it, whether or not you get a type of treatment where, you know, you go through your story or your narrative or you go through the type of treatment that doesn't necessarily, you know, have you do that. In both instances, you need to learn, you know, emotion regulation and how to do that. And Mm -hmm. so um, we would teach coping skills, breathing techniques relaxation techniques, maybe some guided imagery, depends. Um, But those are all things that we would use to help you regulate emotions and help you, you have to essentially retrain your body. Sure. Literally. You have to, it's like trauma treatment is like a multi- Faceted. Faceted thing. Like we're talking about psychological effects, emotional effects, cognitive effects, physiological effects Mm -hmm. so we have to work with all of those different things that's why lately I I really think like the movement based therapies are great you know like dance Mm -hmm. or like sports or you know something where you kind of can get at the things that maybe 
don't come out in words, like in talk therapy. Yeah. Sure. I think a lot of it, too, is like if you've been through a situation where you didn't have control over your body, somebody, you know, was using it for something mm-hmm. and being able to inhabit your body on your own terms and get control back of your body and things like that is going to be really important through the movement. So I think too, like early in therapy, you know, getting a sense of like, if you are putting yourself in situations that maybe re-traumatize you, I think that happens so much that people don't realize like, Oh, this relationship is probably not a good one for me. Cause I don't feel safe in it. Or do you know what I mean? I mm-hmm. think helping people realize if they're like currently in situations that are not going to make it better. Yes. Cool. This could be like so many episodes. I really it could. could. I feel like we said so much and there's so much more to say. Yeah, absolutely. There can be a part two. We could definitely yeah. revisit. And I wonder if people out there have questions about this. Right. Send in. They could ask us, where can they send in their questions? Because maybe if we do a part two, we can answer some people's questions about this. Absolutely. That would be great. The doctors at beingthepodcast.com. That's the doctors at beingthepodcast.com. You can find us on all, on both Facebook and Instagram at beingthepodcast. Again, that's Facebook and Instagram, beingthepodcast. Feel free to check out our website. Uh, beingthepodcast.com where you can shop our merch, uh, find out info about us individually and our individual practices. Um, again, that's beingthepodcast.com. I really enjoyed this. Good, bad, or indifferent. This, you know, it had its highs and lows, but it was it was good. Important conversation. Important. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. All right, guys. See ya. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye.